Would you please stand now as I read this morning's scripture from the book of Acts, chapter 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip, he found himself in Azotus, and he passed through, as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Our kids can be dismissed. There's programming down the hall for them. And to the rest of you, welcome today. We are glad you are here at Community Christian Church for the 11 o'clock service. If you're joining uh, by Facebook, we are also glad that you are here. What we are doing is we are working our way through our VBS series. We do this each summer, and the way it works is we take the five lessons that our kids will learn during the week of VBS, and we kind of back them out for five Sundays, and we talk about them from an adult perspective. And so the theme of our VBS this year, you can see it behind me, uh, is make waves. And so we've been uh, decked out in beach stuff. A lot of people have been uh, you know, uh, coming in that kind of clothing, and you're out there, I can see you, and well done for that. Um, but the uh, tagline is, what you, can do, what you do today can change the world uh, around you. And uh, so we talked about making waves the first week, uh, the creation. We talked about uh, catching a wave and Jesus walking on the water the second week. Last week, we talked about Jesus being the lifesaver and uh, that he is alive. Uh, next week, we'll talk about the ripple effect and how the uh, fruit of the Spirit works in our life. And today, we talk about making a splash. It's day four of VBS. And the, the memory verse for day four comes from John chapter 13. It's a very familiar text. It says something like this, a new commandment I give you to love one another. You will, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for 
one another. And so this idea of making a splash by loving people in your life and loving them well. If you think about the people who have influenced your life and made a splash in your life in a positive way, and if you'll analyze that just for a second, you'll come to realize that the influence those people hold in your life is because of their love for you. When we are loved well, we are changed totally. And so, the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch that we just read is not a story that we would turn to right away as a case study on how to love well. And yet, there's a ton here in this little event about what it means to love people well and to make an eternal splash in their life. And so, let's dive through this story. First, the probably the first thing that we notice is that God is directing the show throughout this whole event. Um, and I want you to notice as well how well Philip took his directions. God's voice comes by way of an angel first in verse 26. The angel says, Philip, I want you to go on the road out of Jerusalem south that goes to Gaza. And the text says, Philip rose and went. And then later, it's the spirit that directs Philip to a chariot that's going along the road in verse 29. At the end of the story, in verse 39, it's actually the Spirit of the Lord that carries Philip away. The, the word just means to seize, and so the Spirit seizes Philip and takes him somewhere else. Uh, make of that what you will. I'm not sure that any of us know what that means. Beam him across, Scotty. I, I don't know. Um, but the glowing thread throughout this story is that God is directing the show, and his timing is perfect because Philip chooses to listen to God's voice and to follow him. And so here's the sermon in one line today. We love others the best when we listen to God the most. We love others the best when we listen to God the most. Philip had a, a few reasons not to listen to what God was telling him to do. And as we roll through this story, the first part here about Philip, I want you to put yourself in his shoes. I want you to hear with his, his ears as he hears these things. And I want you to ask yourself if you would have responded the same way. Philip rose and went. That's what the text says. Would you have done that? Number one, Philip was directed to the middle of nowhere at the worst time ever. Here's what the angel instructs him to do. Go south on the road of, out of Jerusalem that leads to Gaza. And that's a little redundant uh, because Philip knows that the road out of Jerusalem that goes to Gaza is south, okay? And so there's no reason to write south. And in fact, the word for south can also mean something else. It can mean this, midday. It can mean noon o'clock. And so read it with that translation. Now it says, Go at midday at high noon on the road out of Jerusalem that leads to Gaza. That makes a little more sense. And then, just for fun, Luke adds this little detail that where he was sent was a desert place. And so now what, where's Philip going? He's going out into the desert, and he's going at high noon, and that sounds a little like Kansas right now, right? Uh, have you looked on your weather bug lately? Uh, if you use weather bug, there are icons that are coming up for the coming days that I did not know existed. They have little cacti like you're in the desert. 
And that's where Philip is. Um, Desert also means uninhabited. There aren't any people there. There's nobody around on the sun-baked scorching road. There's no gas station. There's no rest area. There's no scenic overview. None of that. No people. And I want you to think about that in light of some of the verses that we could have read before this text because Philip, to this point, has been in massive crowds preaching about Jesus. We read that he and his companions have had massive success in Samaria, and they would go from village to village and preach about Jesus, and they would go to a village. Why? Because there are people there. And if you want people to know about Jesus, that's a pretty good strategy. Go to where the people are. And yet, he gets a tap on the shoulder here, and, he sa- and it says, go into the middle of nowhere where there aren't any people. That doesn't sound like a good plan. Go where? A desert road where there's not a crowd to preach at the worst possible time, the hottest hour of the day, but that's the word. Philip, go. Would you have gone? Second, he was directed to a person not like himself at all. Uh, When he gets to the road, God sends Philip to meet an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, I don't want you to think modern-day Ethiopia. This is a different place. At that time in the world, Ethiopia meant all of the upper Nile region in what we would call today Nubia, okay? So, he's from northern Africa, and very simply, it means that he is a black African. Second, we learn this, that he is a eunuch. That means he would have been castrated. That's very uncommon for our day, but it's not so unheard of in theirs. And so we're told that this eunuch is actually a court official for the queen of his country. He was, in fact, in charge of her treasury. And so he's probably very wealthy. He's probably a very smart guy to rise to this kind of position. On the other hand, Philip could not be more different than that. Philip is a middle-class Jewish man. Jewish men got up every day and they prayed this, Oh Lord, I thank you that you have not made me a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. Jewish men were told from, from little early days, you don't want to participate with people who are different from you because it defiles you. It makes you unacceptable to God. And this Ethiopian eunuch is about as defiling a person as possible. And so this man is racially different. He's from the outermost uh, parts of the civilized world. And so Philip, as a Jewish person, would have considered him a barbarian. That's the word that he might have used. And then on top of all that, he was a sexually altered man. He was different from Philip. He was as different as night and day. But God's prompt is still the same. Go. Now, I'm pretty sure that you and I, as we scan mentally through our Twitter feed or a TikTok feed or whatever, we can easily picture that person who is the exact opposite of us in all of those same kind of categories. Think about racially, think about sexually, think about culturally, and let's add, just for grins, let's add politically, economically, ideologically, educationally, all of those categories as well. Picture the person who is as opposite as you as it gets in all of those categories, and if God taps you on the shoulder and says, go, are you going? Number three, Philip was directed to a running chariot. 
once he gets down there on the, on the desert road at high noon, there's this chariot going by. That's what the text says. The Spirit told Philip, I want you to go over to that chariot and I want you to join it. The NIV says, I want you to stay near it. And the reason that Philip has to stay near it is because it's moving. It's a running vehicle. Maybe the carriage was carried uh, by an entourage of people. Maybe it's horse-drawn. Either way, it is in motion. It is going, and Philip has to keep up with it. And so we read of this little conversation that Philip has with the Ethiopian eunuch before Philip ever gets inside, uh, invited inside the carriage. And so this is all happening while the chariot is moving, while it is running. And so he's having to run alongside the car to have this little dialogue with this guy. And so here's the scene. God sends Philip to the middle of nowhere in the heat of the day to a man he had nothing at all in common with, and he tells him that he's gonna have to do some pretty decent cardio work just to initiate a conversation would you have done those things? Philip does. And so here's love lesson number one today. Loving well means crossing the barriers that divide people. Actually, it's even one step more than just crossing the barrier. Because when the text says, go over and join the chariot, the word for join means to connect. It means to bind. It means to glue together. Those of you who played basketball back in the day, do you remember your coach saying something like, glue yourself to your man, right? There's a famous line from Hoosiers where the coach before the game says to one of his players, if your man is chewing gum, then at the end of the game, I want to know what flavor. And that's the idea here. Philip wasn't just to cross over a barrier. He was to glue himself there because this man needed to know the most important news in the world, news that would change him, news that would change the royal family around him, and news that would change his whole nation behind him. When I think about listening to God the most in order to love others the best, I think of Dale and Betty Johnson. And maybe you would too. Uh, Dale just passed away here in the last couple weeks, and Betty could still use your prayers about that. But I think of how they've been a part of Community Christian Church for over 20 years. And even from the very beginning when they first came, no one was as good or has been as good in those years as them at reaching out to people who are new to our church and just talking to them, engaging them in conversation, and then inviting them to lunch after services on a Sunday. If I went around the room, my bet is that the majority of you at one time or another have been invited to share a meal with Dale and Betty at some point. And they did that all of those years because they heard and followed the same kind of voice and prompt from God. Dale and Betty Here's what I want you to do. This is what God told them. I want you to go into the desert. I, wa I want you to go to the section way south across the worship space from yours. I want you to go where it's hottest in the room. Go to the overflows. Go to the back tables. And, or I can barely bring myself to say it. Dale and Betty, I want you to go to the extreme wings of our worship space where the barbarians live. Right? And I want you to extend your hand, and I want you to engage people in conversation. And would you just invite them to lunch? And they did. 
They did that over and over and over again. And that simple act made our church the kind of family that a church is supposed to be. And let me tell you what they found when they followed that voice. What they found were people who were running. What they found who were people who were busy. They found people who were preoccupied, who were on a schedule, people who were young, who had kids, people who were single, people who were divorced, people with jobs, people with careers, people who were not like them at all. And there are so many reasons that Dale and Betty could have said, no, God, we can't do that. But they didn't. They didn't. They followed the voice of God that said, would you glue yourself to somebody new this week, and they did, and they did it in a way that communicated God's love and His care. Now, it was just lunch, right? That's pretty easy. You're going to eat anyway. Why not invite somebody with you that God might have arranged a divine appointment for? Dale and Betty loved people the best because they listened to God the most, and here's what we need. Now more than ever, we need more Dale and Bettys. There are all kinds of barriers that just came to your brain as to why you can't do that. But who will cross those barriers? Philip did. He crossed all of those barriers. He didn't use any excuses. And so he finds himself in the middle of the desert at high noon in front of a chariot that is going by. Now this chariot or carriage, whatever you want to, word you want to use for it, it was for travel, right? And so, I picture that it would have surely been enclosed to protect from weather and sun and that kind of thing. And to me, that gives me a, just a ridiculous picture because this chariot would have either been carried or horse-drawn, and it's going to sit up a little bit, right? And there's probably an entourage of people around the chariot. This guy was an important guy, and so he's not going to be alone. And then Philip, is he, is he tall? Is he, is he short? Either way, he has to run up alongside this chariot, right? And he has to keep running. And then I can see, you know, how do you engage a conversation like that? Hey, 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 you know, that's ridiculous to me. Uh, but he does that because God wants him to go to the person inside and he keeps his head in the window somehow, you know, and, uh, and, and, he, and he glues himself there with a question. He just says, hey, I hear that you're reading from the prophet Isaiah. Do you get it? That's all he says. And it's the spirit that brings these two men together at exactly the right time. It's exactly the time that the Ethiopian is reading from the scroll of Isaiah and everything in this story is brought together in this moment. And only God could orchestrate what we have in this story in front of us. There's a new phrase that I'm coming to learn that people are using now. Uh, The phrase is called God wink. It's a God wink. It's a phrase that you use when the only explanation is God. And there are clues here that an incredible God wink is going on. Look at this Ethiopian and just some things about him and you'll see. Number one, this guy is at the top. He's at the top. He's a court official for his 
nation of people. He's the treasurer for the queen of his country. We could call him the chief financial officer of sorts. So he's educated, he's wise, he's a cabinet member of government, and uh, he's, he's a super sharp dude and successful. Otherwise, he wouldn't have made it there. And so he's as, as successful as a guy can be. He's at the top. Number two, he's paid a high price to be there. The word eunuch in other contexts of the day can also mean high court official. The word is used for both titles, and that makes sense because high court officials who were not there by birth or by pedigree had to pay a price to be there. If you were not a blood relative of the royal family, yet you were part of the administrative leadership in government, and you had to deal closely, constantly with uh, royal family members, and you were in close proximity to especially female royal family members, female family members, then let's say it this way, castration was a permanent way to assure that you could be trusted. And that was the price. That was the price to climb up to the pinnacles of power. And so this man paid the price to be in his position where he was. Now, that might shock us wait a minute, really? But I want you to think about it, and is it really that different than a story that you've heard a thousand times? The story where a man or a woman sacrifices their family relationships in order to succeed in their occupation or their business and get to the top. Man, I'm sorry, I, I, I have so much to do. I, I can't go with you. I can't go to the game. I, I can't, we can't go out on a date. I, I have to work. I have deals to make. I have people to see. Some people can spend every moment in that frame, and because they do, they drift away from their spouse and their kids until they don't know them anymore, and finally, at the end of the day, a family is abandoned. Is that really any different from what we have in this man? We haven't changed that much. And so this man lives in a family-dominated culture where family was your legacy. If your name did not get carried on by sons and daughters, then your name is blotted out from history. And it's in this family environment that he gives up even the possibility of a family or descendants and a name that would go on. He gives it all up. He knew what he wanted, and he paid the price to get the power that he was after. Now, you might say, well, maybe he didn't have a choice in the matter. Well, if that's the case, then the price is twice as crushing. Number three, he's not happy. Now, how do we know that? He's not happy. He's an Ethiopian. He lives in the uttermost part of civilization, as far as, as the Jews were concerned. Um, and yet, he's coming from that remote place to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is hundreds of miles away. This could be, in that day and age, a trip that took weeks, maybe even months, not to include the stay in Jerusalem that he was planning. And so, why does he make this extended excursion, the text tells us, <clears throat> to worship at the temple? Now, here's the thing. Ethiopia had plenty of gods and plenty of temples. They had religion there. Why does he come across a continent to Jerusalem? 
What does that tell us? It, it tells us that he was in a deep search mode. He's seeking. He's tried all of the religion and gods around him, and they've all come up short. They, they didn't give him any substance for life. And so he hears about the God of Israel. I wonder about the God of the Jews. I will go to his temple and see if I can find the key to life that I've been after. And a man like this only entertains a journey like this if he's searching, if he's empty. And so there's a strong case here that even though he's made it to the top, he's not happy. He's climbed the ladder of success, but he realizes that when he got to the top, that the ladder was leaning on the wrong thing. That's also worth asking here, can he take off for weeks and months for a pilgrimage like this and still keep his job? That's a good question. I do not know. But if not, it tells us how desperate he is. If so, it tells us how wealthy he is. Maybe it tells us both. He's trying to find himself. He's trying to find his purpose. He's searching for meaning because he's lost. Number four, he's not allowed. This is probably the most heartbreaking thing about this man and his journey was that when he arrived at, at the temple of Jerusalem, we know what would have happened. At the temple in Jerusalem, entrance was governed by the law of Moses. There were specific laws about who could get into the temple and who couldn't get in. By the way, if you touch a dead body, this is one of the laws, then you can't get in to worship in the temple until you are cleansed. Another law would be if you had mold on your house, then you were excluded from the temple until a priest came and power washed your house off. And those laws exist to communicate the idea to the Jewish people that you can't just walk into God. You have to be clean. Something has to be done about your sin. Sacrifices have to be made for you to be acceptable to God. And so the temple rules existed as object lessons for how a person comes to God, to the presence of God. But some of those rules were permanent. Some types of people could never go into the temple and worship God, ever. They were never acceptable, and they never would be. Deuteronomy 23 outlines, a few, there were just a few circumstances, but there were some, and Deuteronomy 23 outlines them, the people who can never enter the assembly of God, and one of those categories of people were eunuchs. And so probably this guy doesn't find out until he gets there. He comes all this way, he goes, all, to all that trouble, he goes across the country just to be excluded, just to be told at the door, sorry, folks, park's closed. The moose out front should have told you. So now we know his name. His name's Clark, okay? And uh, people like you, Clark is told, are not allowed. Imagine hearing that on top of a lifetime of feeling different and alienated and alone. He's rejected from the temple. He's not allowed. Here's, here's the last thing we know for certain, that he is uncertain. He is uncertain. On his way home, he has a scroll of Isaiah. And the first question is, how in the world did he get a scroll of Isaiah? I mean, there's not copiers in this day. Copies are hard to come by and they are expensive. Nobody just walks around with these things. But here he is alone in his chariot reading to himself 
Even reading was uncommon, and so it shows how brilliant that this guy is compared to everyday people and how wealthy and how privileged he was that he could actually take a scroll of Isaiah for himself out of Jerusalem, but he couldn't get into the temple. And so as he's reading, he's reading in the section of Isaiah that we would come to know as the servant songs in chapters, the 40s and the 50s chapters, and there are some lines in the section that he would have been reading that would surely have popped his eyes out of his head. I want you to listen to uh, some of them. Isaiah 56 says, let not the foreigner, is that what the Ethiopian eunuch is? Say yes. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Let not the eunuch say, is, is this guy a eunuch? Say yes, yes. Let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name, a name that is better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. I want you to put yourself in this man's shoes, here with his ears. He has just been turned away at the temple in Jerusalem, and he reads those lines. Wait a minute. I was just rejected, but here I'm reading about there's a way that I can actually be accepted and have a name that lasts forever, a name that comes in some other way than by having sons and daughters. I thought that was the only way to have a lasting name, but here it is. I can have it. There's another way. I can be acceptable to God. I can be led into the temple. How is that possible? And in the same section of Isaiah, he keeps reading and the lines that show up in Acts happen. There are lines about someone who suffers. We know who that is. There are lines about somebody who suffers voluntarily. And the lines before the lines that show up in Acts are actually familiar to us. Isaiah 53, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Again, we know who he's talking about. If you go back to Acts, just after those lines... Here's what our Ethiopian eunuch would have read, and this is from the NIV because it's crystal clear. He was led like a lamb, a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Here it is. Who can speak of his descendants? You catch that? For his life was taken from the earth. Here's a eunuch reading about someone who is voluntarily cut off so that he is now without descendants. What does that mean? Here's somebody who is becoming like a eunuch himself, cut off with no descendants. And this person is voluntarily taking on the injustice of somebody else to pay for their transgressions. Who is it that would do that? Who is it that seems to be putting himself in my place because he's doing everything that I am experiencing right now, but he's doing it on behalf of others. He's doing it on behalf of me. Who in the world would do this? Is the prophet writing about himself or about somebody else? Who is this? 
Now let's recap because this guy is on top. He's sacrificed everything to be on top and he has everything, but something is missing. And so he goes in a search. He goes to the temple in Jerusalem to the God of the Jews. Maybe the key to life is there at the temple. And he arrives and he finds that he can't get in. You're not acceptable. You're not good enough. You're not normal. And his search for meaning has come to ashes. And now there's this little cryptic verse that he's reading that seems like it might be a glimmer of hope because it speaks to his own situation with such precision. But he's not sure. He needs help. Who is this? And in that very moment, hey, what you reading? Do you get it? Maybe I can help. Let me tell you the story of Jesus. I know exactly who you're talking about. Love lesson number two, loving others well means sharing the truth. We love well when we cross barriers, but the reason that we cross those barriers is so that we can share the truth. And that's what Philip does. Philip might have said something like this. We don't get what Philip said to the Ethiopian eunuch, but we can piece it together. He probably said something like this, do you know, sir, that you can understand all of life and all of the Bible if you understand the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ for sin? Sin. The transgressions that you're reading about is when we substitute ourselves for God. Sin is when we become our own bosses, acting as if we're in charge and we can do whatever we want. But salvation is when God comes and He substitutes Himself for us. He puts Himself where only we deserve to be. And in the person of Jesus Christ, God came and He put Himself on the cross and He paid our penalty for sin with His blood on the cross, and He became the lamb that was slain. He became a leper for lepers. He became a eunuch for eunuchs. He was excluded. He was rejected. Have you felt like that recently? He was made unclean so that you could be made clean. He was cut off so that you could have an everlasting name. Philip's story of Jesus would have taught this man that nobody is worthy to go into God on, on their own terms. Every one of us has something objectionable about us that holds us out the door. Nobody can go in. We are never good enough. And so Jesus, the suffering servant, comes and puts himself in our place and dies on a cross and becomes good enough for us. He becomes our substitute. And suddenly, do you see it? Suddenly, everything in this man's life that he's been searching for is now found in the resurrected Jesus. In Jesus, there's now a family that he, that he can have, that he never had a hope of having. In Jesus, there's now a purpose that he was never able to track down. In Jesus, he now has a name. His name would have ended with his last breath on this earth, but now his name can be known forever. He'll no longer just be a dry tree but he'll be a tree full of life because of the Savior who is life itself. No doubt, Philip's story of Jesus includes a way for this man to respond. 
And just as Jesus instructed all of his disciples when he left the earth, he said, go make disciples. How do, we, how do we do that? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of their sin and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so he would have offered that invitation. And it's no wonder that the Ethiopian's next words were, look, here's water. Think about that. In the desert, suddenly... In the desert, wherever they were, there's enough water. There's enough water somewhere along the desert road that they can both go down into it and they both can come up out of it. Is that a God wink? Sounds like one to me. God orchestrates this whole thing to such a degree that they were able to make a splash even in the arid, scorching heat of the desert. Philip just listened and he obeyed. And in a splash, baptism deposited this eunuch into the family of God. How do we know when we love people well? Here's how. When you can put your arms around someone who is not like you at all, and because of Jesus, say to that person, you're acceptable, you're loved, you're my brother, you're my sister, then you know. And there's only one story that brings that kind of love about, the ability to love across those kind of barriers, and it's listening to and hearing the gospel and the story of Jesus. We love others the best when we listen to God the most. And so this week, the invitation for everyone in this place is to make some splashes in your life. Would you commit to that this week? For some of you, the splash is to cross some barriers. What barriers do you need to cross this week to love the person that is behind those barriers? And will you cross that barrier? Maybe it's just your driveway. Maybe the splash that some of you need to make this week is to share the truth. What does someone in your life need to hear with clarity for the first time about the story of Jesus? Will you share that with them? Maybe it's just as simple as starting this way, Jesus is alive and you can be too. Maybe the splash that you need to make this week is quite a literal one because you're in the seat where the Ethiopian sits and you're struggling, you're, you're, you're wanting somebody to guide you, you're trying to figure this whole church thing out, you're trying to find Jesus, and, and you're not really sure what this church thing is all about. Do I have to be, do I have to measure up somehow? I'm not, not really getting this. Has your life been changed yet by the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ for you? Are you tired of searching, having what you need in life, but still feel like something is missing? Do you think about religion and immediately conclude, I'm not good enough? I'm not nearly in the condition where God would let me in. You're right, you're not. And that's why Jesus came, to be good enough for you. And all you need to do now is to accept what he's already done, to turn to him, to believe in him, and to be baptized in him. And when you do, there's no more being like a dry tree with no descendants and no lasting name. All that changes in an instant, in a splash, 
It changes the minute that you're willing to say, look, here is water. Look, here is water. Why not today? Why not today? The text tells us that at the end, after this Ethiopian eunuch was baptized, he went on his way rejoicing, and it's no wonder that he did. Because now he had life everlasting. He had descendants. He had a name. Do you need those things today? Let's make a splash. As we sing, I'll be right down here if you want to do something.